Welcome to episode 185 of the Various Sundry Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Harmon, joined live from the Vault Studio on the beautiful campus of Grace College and Theological Seminary by my good friend, my colleague, my co-host, and the man who just got back from a fancy lunch, mm-hmm. John Scott Sloat. I like Cerulean. Yeah. That's more your vibe than mine. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But you have, you've been there. You have oh, a go, sure. You have oh, a go-to bento honey. box yeah, lunch, I got, right? I got a bento box that's a go-to. Hey, you know who contacted me? Uh, and uh, we're getting lunch in a couple of weeks. Who's that? Ben in Warsaw from England. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. You mean our new basement dweller. Yeah, yeah, your new basement dweller. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay, good. Yeah, he's great. We've loved having him in the house. So we're getting – I think we're getting Indian food. OK. Yeah. The UK's national dish. Yes, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, l- let's be honest. British food is not especially noteworthy. No, outside of fish and chips. Yeah. But he, he texts me the sentence today that fish and chips have been relegated. Relegated. That's Using a soccer terminology. I love a good – I love a <laughs> – the word relegated is great. Yeah. Relegated to second place. Relegated behind, to second place yeah. behind Indian food. Yes. Yeah. I, I believe that. I believe that. Uh, there, there does seem to be a large population of Indians, as in those from India, not, uh-huh. not Native Americans, uh, in the UK. Yeah. It seems to be a very large population. Oh, yeah. Which I suppose makes sense since, I mean, India at one point was a British colony. colony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in any case, um, if you would like to get in touch with the show, you can reach us on Twitter at VNSPod. You can email the show podcast at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. And you can... Uh, if you like, which we'd appreciate, leave a five-star rating and a review. And we did have one of our faithful listeners reach out to us on social media this week. Really? Yeah. He tagged you in the tweet. Oh, oh Danny in Ohio? Danny in Ohio. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, I don't remember exactly what he said, but I do remember that it happened. He, he tweeted a screenshot of oh, the announcement goodness. that yeah. the Jets, J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 are going to be on Hard Knocks this year. So why don't you explain for the listeners who may not be familiar what Hard Knocks is. Yeah, Hard Knocks is an, I believe, HBO Mm -hmm. uh, show where they do episodes kind of on the fly in training camp. So while training camp's going on with, is this guy going to make the team? Mm -hmm. Is this star disgruntled? Who's holding out? Who's doing X, Y, Z? Yeah. And so, uh, and it's, it's usually well done. Uh, the episodes I have watched. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I might be getting uh, Max or HBO Max so I can tune in. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a docu-series basically. But it's like it's like live. So like they'll make – Well, with like a, within like a week, make like a week, like a week yeah. delay kind of thing. I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean the, the reason he's tweeting that at you is that I, it's not quite like the Madden cover curse but like – Oftentimes, teams featured on Hard Knocks don't have the most successful 
seasons. The last time the Jets were featured on Hard Knocks, they went to the AFC Championship game. Okay, so, that, so, so that's how you're going to spin it. Okay. That's how I'm going to spin it. Now, the Jets were very vocal. We do not want to be on Hard Knocks. <laughs> In fact, I just saw an article, Aaron Rodgers does not want to be on Hard Knocks. Yeah, I, I am not surprised by that at all. So, should be interesting if they force him to sit down for an interview and what yeah. he says. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's going to work with him in uh, New York? I think two years. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. I, I I think they were, they gave him – he has way more weapons there, I think, than he ever did in Green Bay. Uh, yeah, that's probably true. I mean, and they got Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson. They've got better depth receivers, I think, than the Packers Probably. did in the last five to seven years. Probably. I know they they have some good catch, uh, uh, running, uh, catching, catch, pass catching running backs. There, <laughs> there we go. There you go. <laughs> Whew. It's uh, playing injured today. Not injured. Uh, 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 All the blood's rushed to your stomach to, to yeah. digest the food. Yeah. Yeah. Playing, playing hurt. Yeah. I mean, we, we didn't mention that we're recording on a Thursday, which is also very strange yep. because you're going to be gone next week. Yep. So we can't record on our normal Monday. Mm-hmm. So we're recording on a Thursday for an episode that won't drop for another like five days or whatever here. That's right. So um, let's talk sports that there's not much to talk about since we are kind of in the doldrums of sports and, uh, you know. By the time we, this episode drops, it's five days old news. But uh, Northwestern did fire Pat Fitzgerald. I did see that come across. But my, now uh, he's pursuing legal action. Fun. Yeah, it's a big old mess. What's ironic is that um, they are – so they fire him because, of course, the rationale is, well, the head coach should be aware of mm-hmm. of everything going on in the program. But they're keeping all of the assistants. <laughs> Who should be actually more in? <laughs> At least in pockets, <laughs> the, the yeah. day Yeah. So bizarre. Yep. It's a big old mess. Big old mess. But um, – and since uh, – I mean by the time this episode drops, the second half of the baseball season will be underway. Yep. Um, how – How optimistic are you? Not optimistic. No, you're not optimistic. No. So put a percentage on it. Chances that the Mets get the wild get a wild card spot. Thirty percent? No, I was going to say twenty five. Okay. Twenty twenty five percent. I think they would have to get to get real hot, and I think some teams would have to start losing. I don't think we can win the division. I think the Braves are just too good. It kills me to say that. <laughs> yeah, um, but anybody who's watched the Braves this year will will agree that they are just. So much better than everybody else. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, the thing about baseball is – You just got to get hot at the right time. Exactly. Yeah. Or, go, or go cold. Exactly. Uh, you know, so you have this massively long season, mm-hmm. 162 games. But, you know, if the Braves kind of, you know, fade towards the – I mean, they're going to win the division. But they get cold at the wrong time or their bats get cold or they get a key injury – doesn't matter, you know, in, in, in a playoff series in baseball or they run into another team that just is absolutely red hot at any given moment. Yep. Yeah. That, I think 
in some ways, baseball more than any other professional sport is like that, mm -hmm. where the best team doesn't necessarily win uh, series or even the, the the championship. So if we can get the 90 games, I think we've got a good chance of getting a wild card, but I don't know if we can get the 90 games. Okay. They'd have to... Yeah, they'd have to they'd have to really be humming along the rest of the season. Okay. Have you uh, I'm sure the answer is no, but I'll ask it. Have you caught any of the summer league basketball? <laughs> no no, no I have not. Yeah, I knew the answer was no to that, but I did catch a little bit of your Knicks last night in the summer league. Oh yeah, anybody look interesting? Eh, summer league I mean it's it's filler content. And, you know, you're watching guys that um, the vast majority of which will never really see the floor in the NBA. Mm. They're going to be in the G League or, you know, they might be deep at the bottom of the bench. Minus some of the rookies that you're like, OK, they'll, they'll get some minutes. I mean, all the hype is over the over uh, Victor Wembanyama, the first round, draft, the first overall pick. Is that how that name is pronounced? Yes. Wembanyama. He's like 7'5", wow. but has guard skills. But he's thin, as you'd expect at 7'5", when someone with guard skills. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting. Um, it's, you know, the the quality of the basketball is not always the best, as you might imagine. Because hmm. you got guys trying to, you know, make the case for making teams and getting roster spots and all that kind of stuff. But, but I imagine they're playing hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's 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 competitive for sure, but uh, quality of basketball is not always the best. Anyway, you ready to move on, John? Sure. Today we are talking about an article on the Gospel Coalition website, and that article is entitled "Marriage is Better for Your Adult Kids Than You May Think." Which, I mean, in one sense, the article assumes that I have a certain posture towards that, right? <laughs> but in any case, um, this article caught my attention. And uh, I was also further encouraged by my lovely bride who said, I really like it when you guys discuss articles. And so oh. we aim to please. Even like this last week's article yeah. or articles in particular yeah. that she enjoyed? like. Gospel Coalition articles? I or? mean, any article, really. Okay. So. Uh, Some of our most cantankerous ones have been when we've gotten an article from like the Atlantic or something like that. and Yeah, less so articles from the Gospel Coalition. Yeah. But uh, we've we've done some New York Times stuff. We've done some Atlantic. Yeah. Um, what uh, helps is they have a number of free articles that you can download and read. Those those websites mm -hmm. without a subscription. Yeah, we never do a Wall Street Journal because you you can't get them without a subscription. Yeah, though I sent you a Washington Post article. Wapo. Yeah, yeah, Wapo. You, you get, get a certain some. number of freebies. Yep. yep, we can do Wapo. Um, which uh, we haven't discussed this. Maybe that'll end up being next episode or soon. Perhaps we'll see. Um, but in any case, um, this article. <laughs> Getting back on track. <laughs> trying, trying. Uh, let's see. I, I want to try to grab the, the thesis statement. I'll, I'll try to 
briefly, very briefly, explain what the article is about. And then I'll ask for your general impressions and we can go from there. So basically, this article, again, entitled Marriage is Better for Your Adult Kids Than You May Think, uh, is responding to, uh, primarily responding to a um, some research done by the Pew Research Group that uh, says only 20% of parents say it's very important to them that their kids have children as adults. Mm-hmm. Another 34% say it's somewhat important. And a whopping, this is quoting directly here, <laughs> a whopping, their word, not mine, 46% say it's not at all important. So really again, 46% of parents say it's not at all important that their kids one day have kids. Um, so And then basically he's contrasting that with the next stat he gives. Compare this to the 98% of parents who say it's very important or somewhat important that their kids grow up to be financially independent and have careers they enjoy. So that's the the sort of not tension perhaps, but just the the contrast that he's drawing and yeah. going to give some analysis as to why the, why he thinks those numbers are what they are and what that reveals about our culture and even within the church. Mm-hmm. And he would he would say those are correlated numbers, right? That that yeah yeah okay. So let's talk big picture. As you read the article. What were some of the things that caught your attention or just big picture impressions? Yeah, direction. So my big comment is directionally, I think this is right. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- I think marriage, broadly speaking, is good. Children, babies That's a hot take. are good, right? Another right. hot take. I know, You're I know. rolling. <laughs> uh, however, you know, you know, where – on on some of the, like the well the finances are you know the 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 boogeyman here mm-hmm. um i there's part of me that's like you know i even reading the article how did financial and career success replace family life at the top of the parents wish list and i just kind of want to go well, do you, do you remember 2008 and 2009 when when there was a big financial crash um mm-hmm. lots of Millennials, lots of people lost their jo- lost their early career jobs um, in that moment, and have been trying to rebuild ever since. And uh, I think I think there's some real like fear from that. And that was on the back of a dot com bubble burst in the, in the early 2000s and housing burst so, there with 2008 as well. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And so and so there's part of me that's like, yes, I agree. This is probably way too important. However, like I, I think I'm a little bit more understanding of some of the fears uh, that mm-hmm. come along with that. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is is the nuancing of, you know, what do we mean by financially independent and have careers they enjoy? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big category. Yeah, because someone could could hear that statement and go, "Well, I want my adult kids to be able to." pay their bills. Absolutely. That, that, that seems like a sort of, you know, baseline hope, right? Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that that uh, that 
parents are not having to perpetually and forever help out their adult children. Absolutely. Not that they shouldn't do it and that there aren't circumstances that necessitate it, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, I think there's a difference between that, though, and what someone might say is a sort of career they enjoy or have a successful career. And what Mm -hmm. does that mean? Oh, yeah. Um, Because part of that, too, gets to the the myth – and I think this is especially true for women – you can have it all. Mm-hmm. You can be the fully attentive, fully engaged, invested parent, in particular tends to be moms, and yet still have a highly successful, highly demanding career. And that's just that's just not true. In like 2011, 2012, there was a there was a um, the article faced derision at the time as it would today, but a Hillary Clinton staffer who quit to raise her family basically published an op-ed piece said Mm -hmm. that women can't have it all. And that was the name of the headline. Do you remember this? Yeah. And uh, basically it was like, listen, my family needed me and so I quit to go take care of them. Mm -hmm. I cannot have it all. Um, I got to make choices. Yeah. And uh, she was met with uh, I think some pretty brutal attacks after, after publishing that. Yeah, and I think another dynamic that has to be recognized is what are realistic expectations for standard of living mm-hmm. that I think some young adults have unrealistic or such elevated expectations of what kind of standard of living they should be able to have very soon in their career or post-college that they wrongly conclude – well, we both just have to work. Mm-hmm. There's just no way that one of us cannot work. And if you push a little deeper, and sometimes that's true. So that may be true in, 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 in some situations where you're like, yeah, between the two of you, you probably both need to work to help have a basic sort of modest existence. Yeah, that, Those situations do happen. But I'm talking about – the sort of well if 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 to get if we're not pulling it if one of our spot one spouse is not pulling in a hundred grand then the the other one's gotta work. I mean yeah. we, we have to be making six figures mm-hmm. to to have any reasonable standard of living. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. Unless maybe you're living in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. And even then I'm like, probably not. So I, I do think there are some of these factors where people have misguided expectations, which are which do play into one of the critiques in the article of we've redefined what the good life is, mm-hmm. that our culture has been successful in defining the good life uh, in very financial terms and being able to have a certain standard of living that um, if you don't have, then you can't possibly – have the good life, so I think I think some of those are those dynamics are at play, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, another thing, one other small thing that I think I I would um, push back on in the article a little bit is it seems, and, and this is me trying to read between the lines. It does seem like he is writing to a very particular situation. 
uh, that he does mention in there with this, gosh, what was it, a 22-year-old marrying a 20-year-old, and the parents were like, whoa, pump the brakes. You guys are only in your early 20s, and uh, they got married, and, and everything turned out great. The, the, the only pushback I would give to that is – uh, generally, I think it's a good idea for people to get their ba- – if, if they're going to go to college, get their bachelor's degree first to, mm-hmm. to finish that degree before uh, getting married. Um, I think uh, there's there's some – I think it's called s- success sequence that's out there where uh, get all your education before you get married, you know, get married, uh, get married before you have kids, you know, th- those sorts of things. And they're like people who do that, 90 90- Five percent of them have a success that's determined by the by the study. Yeah, I, I, yes and no. I mean, I think um, I think that um, in one sense, every situation needs to be evaluated on its own merits. I I agree with that. So yeah. I I, I want to put that qualifier out there before I make a generalized statement that's Mm -hmm. about to follow. Um, I think probably as a general rule, I would lean towards, yeah, it's probably not a bad idea to finish your bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. before getting married. Probably not a bad idea. Um, But I also think from a Christian perspective, I think there is a real danger that some well-meaning Christian parents don't fully appreciate or take into account in terms of if you have a mature young couple who's – they're clearly compatible. They're both Mm -hmm. godly. They're both mature. If you unnecessarily or unwisely – delay the marriage, you are creating circumstances that invite increasing levels of temptation. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, that's something that I think needs to be also yeah. taken into account in those contexts. Yeah. Um, okay. Another number that comes out of this um, – uh, where was it here? I lost it. Here it is. I mean, and, and really, I would say um, this is this is still pretty shocking to me, though, right? Only fifty-three percent of parents say it's very or somewhat important that their children get married as adults. That seems surprising to me. That is surprising to mm-hmm. me. I would expect that to be much higher. Yeah, it makes me question the statistic. To tell you the truth, yeah. I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And again, let's make all the qualifications. God calls some people to be single. That's sure. true. And we're not in any way advocating like, yeah, go ahead, rush into marriage just for the sake of getting married. Yeah. Obviously not. But um, yeah, I think in one sense, perhaps the most compelling point made in the article is um, – he, he, he cites some data from the American Family Survey uh, and he introduces it with, the idea that marriage and children are obstacles to personal happiness fits nicely with our modern intuition. But what if the data reveals the opposite is true? 
the 2022 American Family Survey shows 33% of married mothers aged 18 to 55 report they're completely satisfied with their lives, while only 15% of childless women in the same age range make the same claim. And then he goes on to quote uh, the Harvard study of adult development, the longest scientific study on happiness ever conducted. Their findings show, quote, the good life is found in relationships, including marriage and family. Other studies show marriage is of far greater importance to personal happiness than a career. Are you familiar with that study, the no. Harvard Longitudinal Study? No. Oh, yeah. It's fascinating. They, they took a, a class from Harvard. It was like 25 or 30 men from this class and did surveys with them every year until I think I think the whole cohort has passed away now. Wow. Uh, so it's, it's a really, really fascinating study. Yeah. Yep. Now, I want to get to the end of that article because he, I think he has some interesting points about codependency. That mm-hmm. I want to want to want to hit on, but um, I will say there's a danger here, and I and I want to believe the best about the author here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, th- this is on the Gospel Coalition, after all. This is not in some random newspaper or the Atlantic or the New York Times or the Washington Post or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be a danger sometimes with articles like this that make marriage and family to be the end all and be all of life. Yeah. And as Christians, we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. Biblically speaking, that's not true. So we have to be able to say marriage and family are very good things, great gifts of God, but they're not the ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. And the church can can get in in one sense uh, in in an equal amount of trouble by so focusing on marriage and family that it in essence becomes an idol mm-hmm. and it takes the place of one's relationship with god um you know again there there are the two extremes you can either denigrate and dismiss and uh ignore the family which is not biblical or you can so elevate it that a good thing becomes an idol because you're trying to make it an ultimate thing. Mm-hmm. And that's just something I think that needs to be kept in mind in these conversations that we – even as we talk about the biblical value of marriage and family and the goodness of it, that we don't talk about it in ways that make it sound like it's an ultimate thing. And he does have about two sentences on that toward the end of the article. Um, but I, I do wish that was a, that was a bigger – focus of his. I, I did find myself thinking about that throughout the yeah throughout the reading of the article. Well, I want to get your thoughts on one last section of this article. It's The section is entitled Unhealthy Codependency. And this was an interesting observation. I want to get your thoughts because both of us work with college students. Yeah. Me, historically. Yeah. Less so now. Yes. I mean, what was your lunch meeting about, though? It's it about college students. Yeah. 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 So even in your new role, yeah. even though it's not a focus of what you're doing, mm-hmm. you're still involved with college students. 
In any case, he wonders whether quote an unhealthy codependency is another factor behind why increasing numbers of parents don't value their children starting their own families when they become adults. And he goes on to talk about basically in one sense it's sort of the the phenomenon of the um, the helicopter parent mm-hmm. in terms of parents are so much more involved in the detailed uh, details of their young adult children than has been historically the case. Mm-hmm. And that on the flip side of that, adult children are therefore more dependent on their parents and less independent because they just kind of roll with mom and dad doing everything for them mm-hmm. and not giving them and, – and them not you know experiencing a greater level of independence. Um, and you know, he, he makes an interesting point. He says – Codependency may be one of the reasons today's 16-year-olds aren't in a hurry to obtain their driver's licenses and 22-year-olds aren't rushing to get married and start families of their own. Have you come across this phenomenon of like 16-year-olds not that interested in getting their driver's license? Yeah. Yeah, we've had um – I would say it's probably more the exception than the rule. Sure. Like like I think – but I, I've known um, – we've had graduate students at Grace who haven't had a driver's license. Graduate students? Yeah, people that have graduated college that didn't have a driver's license. How is that possible? <laughs> um, like especially especially in, a, in a rural context like we are. Yeah, yeah. I, there's like just, it's one thing if you're in the if you're if you're in New York City or downtown Chicago. Sure. And public this, transit you get around. Like, to be fair, the student grew up in Chicago. Okay. Uh, and I think had a significant other that drove them places. I think. But I remember we were all we were all like lining up to get uh, uh, take a to fill out the forms so that we could drive for Grace, and the student goes, "Yeah, I don't have a license." Really? Yeah. Yeah, but I I am aware of like of high school kids, sixteen, seventeen, who are in no rush to get their driver's license. When I was like 14, I was thinking I cannot wait to get my driver's license. Mm-hmm. And I think I got it like l- literally the the absolute soonest I could have possibly gotten it. Yeah, I think I went on my point. birthday to take the test. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it was such a rite of passage and it was such a like uh, opportunity for freedom. Oh, yeah. You know, obviously within reason. But, you know, it's like you mean – I don't have to get a ride from my parents mm-hmm. to go hang out at my friend's house or I don't have to wait for them to come pick me up or after school, I can just go home in my own car and not have to wait for mom or dad to pick me up. That's amazing. That was great. It's living the dream, yeah. man. Still is great. <laughs> it still is. And yet there, there's, a, there's a portion of the, of the high school population now. That it's just like, eh, not that interested. Eventually, probably, but I don't get that. I don't get it either. I, and I don't know if it's the codependency or, or what it is, but it's the like, I, I just cannot, I can't fathom it. 
it, it boggles my mind. Yeah. So um, anyway, and it's an interesting section on codependency because he basically puts the blame on both parents and sort of young adult mm-hmm. uh, children. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, in our experience working with college students, we see it, the, the sort of overly hovering helicopter parenting kind of and some some kids chafe against it and kind of chuckle about it come on mom like or they'll make cracks about you know mom or dad being usually it's the mom not always but Mm -hmm. usually being a little bit too too hovering and make cracks about it and others seem to like literally depend upon it like i don't know how i'm going to function without my mom or dad like right here. Oh, yeah. The number of dorm rooms that were cleaned by moms at the end of the semester every year. Wild. Yeah. I will say dads can be a bit more hovering when it comes to sports generally. Sure. Uh, And so like if their son or daughter is really good at this sport, um, they're invested to the hilt. Um, Yeah. Is that hovering though or is that just trying to live vicariously through them? I mean, I mean, I think I think sometimes uh, mom's involvement in their kids can be living vicariously through them. Yeah, it depends. It depends. I, I suppose it depends on what we're talking about. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I mean, I, I think for for dads, it tends to be more tempting, especially in the sports thing, of like, I'm going to live vicariously through my son or daughter's athletic success, mm-hmm. uh, because that you know reflects well on me mm-hmm. that I can brag to the guys, hey, my daughter is a college athlete or she did this or, you know, she scored the winning goal in this really important game or my son, you know, holds this record or whatever. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I understand that temptation. Um, but that's different than I think some of the other aspects of helicopter parenting where it's like the kid just is incapable of cleaning their own room or doing their homework without yeah. their parents checking I, it. I, I don't think that that's um, that's not helicopter. That's not uh, living vicariously. That's mm-hmm. that's paralyzing your kids. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he closes with a challenge to the church, um, you know, calling us to push back against some of the cultural intuitions about what the good life is. And that's 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 good. Um. He he does um, – and he does talk about you know Genesis one twenty eight, And this is an important line. Maybe that's what you are getting at earlier in reference to the sort of quote-unquote creation mandate. Uh, fruitfulness through marriage and family, though certainly not the only way to be fruitful, mm-hmm. is a key part of God's creation mandate and his good design for human flourishing. So there's his little qualification, which I appreciate. Like, hey um, – there are other elements of fruitfulness that don't involve procreating. Yeah. And that yeah. have a much more directly spiritual dynamic of taking another person under your wing and discipling them or sharing the gospel with others and you know being involved in their lives. That, yeah. that doesn't much, require – Much more Matthew 28. Yeah. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So we'll put the link to the article. We'll see what you think of that uh, in the show notes. But – Uh, You ready to move on? Sure.
Time now for this day in sports history. This day in sports history, July 18th, 2023, uh, 1976. Uh, Nadia Kamanasi. <laughs> Komonichi. Komonichi. I don't know how he got there. Uh, becomes the first gymnast in Olympic Games history to score a perfect 10, doing so seven times at the Montreal Games. 14 years old. Wow. It's wow. kind of crazy that some that some sports like gymnastics. You peak early. And then even like women's tennis. Mm-hmm. Though the, the Williams sisters are kind of a, an outlier on that. But sure. like it's not uncommon for like a 16-year-old women's tennis player to, to crack the top five and be like one of, you know, one of the five best players yeah. in the world. That doesn't happen in a lot of other sports. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another sport it would happen. Well, uh, I mean, we so mentioned gymnastics. We gymnastics. Mentioned so- soccer sometimes. Not that young, though. Yeah, I remember uh, Christian, uh, the, the the American that was just traded from Chelsea to AC Milan. Don't know. Okay. Uh, Pul- Pulsek? Pulsak? Uh, something like that. Pulisic? Is that how you say his name? I don't know. Um, but anyway, I remember reading about him when he was 16. And that he was going to be. Right. But he wasn't playing at the absolute highest. Like he wasn't going no. into the Premier League and like in competition for, I don't know what their equivalent is of like the MVP of the league. Whatever. No, he would have been, he'd have been probably on like their G League team basically. Right. right. Um, anyway, uh, 1988 British Open men's golf, Royal Litham and St. Anne's Spaniard, Seve Balsteros. <laughs> Ballesteros. Uh huh. Wins his third <laughs> open title by two shots from Nick's Nick Price of Zimbabwe. <laughs> you had to know that was coming. Oh, absolutely. You know, my church history class this last Sunday, the first thing I said was, I pronounce names incorrectly. Do not bother <laughs> correcting me. It's, I'm not going to change. Uh, I mean, it, it should be well known by now that I go out of my way to try to find yes. names. Uh, 94, 1994, uh, Houston Astros tie NL comeback record trailing 10-0 and beat the Cards 15-12. Yeah, that's like a mercy rule score practically right that's, there. Yeah, that's in, that's in the in the ballpark for sure. Uh, 99, British Open men's golf. Uh, ooh, how do you say that? Carnoustie? Uh, Carnoustie. Carnoustie. Uh, Scotsman Paul Lowry. Wins his only major title by three strokes in a four-hole aggregate playoff with Jean Van Del Velde. <laughs> Van Develd. Van Develd. Uh, and Justin Leonard recovers from 10 shots behind after three rounds from the biggest comeback in major championship history. Uh, that guy famously triple bogeys the last hole. Yes. Have you heard of this before? I believe I have. That I'm sure it's on very, YouTube. But very it, familiar. Like, it's classic. I mean, it's this Frenchman – who, you know, he like he hits it into the water and then hits it again like into a bo- like it's it's like it looks like up to this point he looks like a professional golfer who's going to win a major tournament. Hmm. And then the last hole it's like you or me are out there on one of these courses where it's like we look completely lost <laughs> and like we don't belong. So I'm sure you could like YouTube it and watch him pl- absolutely butcher the last hole. Hmm. So All right, so who do you like? Probably Nadia. Yeah? Komonichi. Yeah, Komonichi. Yeah. 
<laughs> okay. I think I did well to get like three names in there. Yes, that, that yes. Were, that were challenging. Your skills are improving. Uh, yeah, yes. I'm trying. I'm trying. So, all right. 14 years old. Nadia Comaneci it is. One thing you liked. I've definitely mentioned this on the pod before, but I think it's been at least a year since it's been my one thing. So I'm going to mention it again. I've been listening through the history of Rome. Really, really good. Yeah, I, I never finished it. I got all the way through the basically the end of the first century AD. I'm like on the cusp of Diocletian right now. Okay. Um, I was painting baseboards in my house last week, uh, and yes. I just – I bust from – a little bit, probably Pompey the Great, all the way to where I'm at now, close to Diocletian, so se- wow. second century. Uh, yeah, I mean, my main interests lie basically in first century BC and first century AD, because mm-hmm. that's the most relevant for New Testament background. Yeah, but um, yeah, he does a he does a great job with it. He's really good. I really enjoy him. Have you listened to his Revolutions podcast? No. Okay, so he does revolutions as well that are that are pretty interesting. Like one episode per like like no, French Revolution or he'll, he'll do like a, a season. He'll do a so his first season's on like the uh, the Glorious Revolution, the the British Revolution. Okay, the second season's on the American Revolution. Third season's on the French, and right now he's in the middle of the Russian Revolution, hmm. and he's been in the Russian Revolution like a year and a half. Wow! Just because there's a lot in the Russian Revolution. Now, see, that would fascinate me because, you know, I have a— You love the Russians. I, I, I have a fascination with, with Russia. Unfortunately, unless something drastically changes here in the next decade, I don't think you're getting to Russia. Well, not anytime soon. Not anytime soon, which makes it all the more— Disappointing? —bitter mm. that we tried and couldn't get it done back in 2019. 19— 2019. Who knew that the world was going to be so wild? <laughs> yes. And I think someone, someone in the global office actually recommended, you know, you could go to the, go to Ukraine instead. It's basically kind of like the, it's very similar to Russia. We put a nix on that, but it's probably good. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Wow. Dodged a bullet there. Yes, we did. Um, all right. My one thing I liked is I am finishing up a book by Matthew Emadi in the New Studies in Biblical Theology series. It's entitled The Royal Priest, Psalm 110 in Biblical Theology. Is he related to Samuel Amadi? Brother, I believe. Okay. I know Samuel. I've met Samuel. Yeah. Yep. Had a doctoral seminar with him at Southern. Okay. Uh, this is his – this is Matthew Amadi's uh, revised dissertation. Oh, okay. In, in Great. This. Wonderful. It's very, it's very good. Very good. I'm enjoying it immensely. So, all right. We have talked. Uh, let's see. What have we talked? We talked Pat's Fitzger- Pat Fitzgerald getting fired. We have talked marriage is better for your adult kids than you may think. We have talked Nadia Comaneci. Comaneci. How, how many times did you have to hear that before we went on air? Did you know that's how it's pronounced? I Really? Uh, I mean, I'm old enough. Not that I obviously remember the 76 Olympics. I was three. Mm. But um, I remember Mary Lou Retton 
1984. Mm. And them kind of comparing her to Nadia Comaneci. Okay. So mm. That's probably where I'm familiar with that. And we have talked the History of Rome podcast. We've talked the Royal Priest, Psalm 110 in Biblical Theology. And so I think by definition, we have covered our various and sundry topics. And all that's left to say is, until next time, the Lord bless you all real good. Later. Later.